Welcome to the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. My name's Amy McDonald. I'm a yoga teacher, yoga student, and a yoga business coach. And I'm here to support you to share your yoga with the people in your community who really need it. So if you're an amazing yoga teacher, but you sometimes struggle with the business part of what it is that you do, you're in the right place. I hope you thoroughly enjoy everything I've got in store for you. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or ideas for future podcasts, reach out to me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. To the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast for the week. I hope you had a really great weekend and that you're feeling refreshed and excited about what is to come for this week. I know I am particularly excited this week because, of course, Yoga and Story starts on Friday. Uh, and I've picked the story that we're going to be, well, it, actually it's three stories and I'm going to put them all into one, um, that we're going to be playing with on Friday or that might be Thursday for you, depending on where you're at. So it's, it's going to be super fun. Um, yeah, super fun, a little bit saucy, you know, having a sexy night with a water demon. Why not? Anyway. I won't, I won't give away too much for everybody who signed up. We're going to have a great time. Today I want to talk about, it's another story podcast um, because I'm just, as, as someone emailed me over the weekend, I can tell you're really excited about this topic. Yes, yes I am, but uh, I'll knock it off next week and we'll do something else. But for right now, this week, one final story-inspired podcast for you. And so I want to talk today about... Um, the topic is killing the caravas within or killing the caravan within. And this, in fact, was a sentence that one of my teachers said to me in a training recently, but it popped out. Uh, I was looking over my notebook today and I thought that one, that's what we're going to talk about on the podcast. So really um, a little bit of backstory. So the, uh, the, 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 t- the teaching today or the the story element of the teaching today that I'm drawing from comes from the Mahabharata. There is two major epic stories in uh, in India that um, and numbers and numbers and numbers of, of other texts as well of course that are different characters, sub-stories and alternate stories. Are, but these two are, are what we refer to as the epics, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata. The Ramayana is the story of Ram, Sita, Hanuman, that one. The Mahabharata is the the family war between two collections of cousins. Uh, And, of course, it's the epic that houses within it um, the 18 chapters that make up the Bhagavad Gita, which a lot of us encounter as a separate text. Of course, it is part of um, a much larger work, which is called the Mahabharata. So that's where that particular text is where I'm drawing this story from now the um the the caravas um really what that means is is um you know the 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 descendants of one particular dynasty but when we talk about the caravas in terms of the overarching narrative that is the Mahabharata we're talking about one of the sets of warring cousins and in particular uh, the bad guys. So quickly, how did all of that come to be? There was, um, you know, a, a very, there was a, uh, sorry, my dog's about to roll himself off. Oh, so stop it. Um, it wouldn't be a podcast unless Steve made himself known. So the, so there were two brothers um, and uh, one was born blind, 
Um, and so they uh, decided that, well, probably the other one is the better guy because how can you rule a kingdom if you're blind? I know. Um, there's an, an access issue there. <laughs> that could be a story in itself. Um, so the other guy was the ruler or whatever. That's all going well. Um, and and then they, uh, look, a whole bunch of interesting things happened. But essentially the, the guy who was the ruler, he, he had two wives. Um, between the two wives he had five sons. Um, well, the, they weren't necessarily his sons. They Well, they were his sons, but he wasn't the, what do you call it, baby daddy. <laughs> I think what you call it, Amy, is biological father. <laughs> Anyway, you know what I mean. Um, they were divinely uh, conceived by various different gods. Each of the different brothers got a different god daddy. Uh, but anyway, Pandu was their dad. He had two wives. Now, Kunti was one and he had another wife who, when I think of her, I don't know if anybody else is a fan of, remember that TV show uh, called Big Love about those LDS people who actually um, – had like FLDS roots and were sneakily doing the polygamy thing uh, in Utah. It was such a good show. With Bill Paxton, such a good show. I bloody loved it. Anyway, I can't remember um, the third wife that they brought in. I always, when I think of, um, when I think of Pandu's second wife, I always think of, I reckon they looked a bit like that. Marianne, I don't know, DM me if you can remember her name. Anyway, so Pandu had this other, other, um, uh, this, his second wife, she had some kids as well. They were all through a magical boon, a special mantra that got you pregnant. Um, but in the course of, of his life, he got it. Pandu, um, look, okay, shit, I'm just going to do it. It's Monday morning. We're going to do this. So Pandu was a really good guy, really good, you know, set up to be a great ruler, lived his life in all the good ways. He was out hunting and he killed a deer. Um, unfortunately he killed a deer that was, this is going to get graphic. This is an adult content warning. He killed a deer who was making sweet, sweet love to his lady deer friend. And he was just at the point of making the sweet, sweet love. I don't know. I should have thought about this in advance. I'm not going to say it how I would just say it if I was talking to a friend, but you know, that point, uh, right at the point of about to, you know, this way, making the guitar solo face. Let's just put it that way. You know what I mean? It's the same face. Um, it's the mixing a cocktail, playing a guitar solo, and that particular point in the sweet, sweet love process. He was right there, right there. And he got shot by a pundit with an arrow. And uh, as you can imagine, Oh, hang on. So this deer, not only was he like in the forest making sweet, sweet love to his lady deer, he was also a magical, he was a rishi, he was a magical man. And he'd taken the form of a deer because when you're a special rishi, spiritual man, it's hard to get private time to get it on with your lady. So how do you do that? You turn yourselves into deers and you go into the forest because most people are like, yeah, whatever, it's just deers humping each other. Not like, oh my God, check him out. He's actually like having, he's doing it with like a lady. So they were looking for some privacy in the forms of taking a deer. He was just making that face moment and he got shot. So uh, that sucks. And so he decided to, um, so so anyway, because of that, he, he the shooter of the arrow, Pandu, he got cursed. And essentially, <laughs> I love this stuff. This is one of the reasons why you can have so much fun with yoga stories. You want to know what the curse was? 
Essentially, the curse was this. If you come again, you'll die. Seriously, that was the curse. I mean, man, what a curse. Can you imagine? Tantric celibacy for life. <laughs> so, whatever. So, um, all this stuff went down and... Um, Pandu and his two misses were out in the forest for other reasons. And um, he, he, Kunti was the, the, the first wife, I don't know what she was doing, sweeping the forest floor, something or rather. The other two went to go get some water and something happened and, I don't know, all of a sudden Pandu just had that Garth in Waynesville moment, Dreamweaver situation where he couldn't resist his wife and bingo, bango, whoopsie, dead. So... I said he had a curse he knew it but sometimes you know it was fucked to the death which is exactly what happened anti-kindness style so anyway all of this to say that where was I going with that oh yeah all of this to say that uh now that the king had died they had no choice but to get the blind king to take his place and if you are familiar with the Gita you know that it opens with the blind king asking his um clairaudient guide to tell him what he can hear what's going on in the battlefield that's that guy so that guy he had one wife uh and and you know her name was Gandhari and arguably she was quite a good lady because she decided that if her husband was blind gosh we could unpick this but if her husband was blind she should be blind too so she bound her eyes so the two of them could bumble along in the dark because heaven forbid if the wife is better than the husband, I'm not saying blind is bad. I'm Anyway, you could take that in a whole lot of directions. I'm choosing to take the one of heaven forbid that the wife is more able-bodied than the husband. So they did that. And in this fashion, it demonstrates that she is a devoted, read, great wife. Thing was, she had a bit of a jealousy issue. And um, when she saw Pandu's wives having their, not only were they having babies, but remember, this is back in the day, they were having sons, and that's what you want, five sons, yes, please. So she started to get pissed. So um, she had a magical pregnancy herself. She's carrying this baby. She's gestating that thing for two years. She's starting to get impatient. I've been pregnant. I don't know, for any of you that have done the pregnancy thing, I'm guessing that nine months is long enough, let alone doing that for two years. So she's already two years in. She's starting to get pissed off. Nothing's happening. So she beats herself. And what do you know? Uh, this bit's gross, okay? This bit always makes me vomit in my mouth a little bit. But here's what happened. So she got cross with herself. She did some, like, self-abuse stuff. And as a result, um, what do you call it? Induced the... Uh, this is, like I said, this is gross, induce the delivery of this kind of mass. Yuck. Anyway, that happened. No child, just kind of like, I don't know, something from a movie that's got Sigourney Weaver in it, like something kind of alien kind of flats out onto the ground. So she's kind of like, well, shit, what do I do now? Uh, and so here's, of course, what you do. If you if that, if should find yourself after having two-year gestation period beating a bit of blick out onto the floor. What do you do with it? Here's what you do. You get a hundred pots. Mason Charles, if you're a hipster. But you get a hundred pots. You cut up into a hundred bits. You put a bit in each one, seal them up, wait. Guess what? You get a hundred kids. Yay! So while, you know, whether you want to call this yoga's first IVF baby, 
artificial external is this AI gestation I don't know but anyway that's what happened uh, she had a hundred kids uh, out of jars and when the first one emerged from his jar uh, there was a lot of animals that howled mm, that's not a good sign when you give birth and you hear like jackals howling that's not good Tech, traditionally I don't know these days if you have that happen, maybe it's auspicious. But back then, when all the animals howl when your first kid comes out of his pot, not good. But that's what happened. Uh, and, of course, that kid was Dorodana. Ba, 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 the, uh, the, the attempted rapist in um, the story of Draubadi and the Abundant Sari. But that's another time. So here we have it to give you to we've just done a very quick and dirty Genesis story of the, where we find ourselves here at this point in the Mahabharata where we have the, the 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 two warring cousins we've got the five Pandava brothers why because they're the sons of Pandu you know the guy who fucked himself to death they're his sons although he wasn't their actual you know they were this also the sons of gods and Pandu complicated. And then on the other side, we have the namesake of today's episode, which is the Kauravas, which are the 100 sons born of the and the clay pots, etc. Uh, the oldest of which is Dorona. And so this is who I want to talk about <laughs> 14 minutes into the podcast. Amy's actually going to make a point. I want to talk about Dorodana today as the head of the Kaurava brothers and what that represents and how... Um, how I think we can use it uh, as a consideration in business and life, um, particularly because it's come up, this theme has come up a little bit uh, for me personally over the weekend and also uh, in a couple of the coaching sessions that I've had so far this week. So um, Dorodana, you know, none of these, all of these characters are inherently complex, which is part of the reason why they're so delightful to use as, archetypes and metaphors for life because like life they are so colorful and multifaceted but we know that Dorodana um he was an amazing fighter you know he that's his name means kind of like um oh like he's the unbeatable warrior he um he 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 wanted to be a very good ruler. He wanted to take leadership. He had those leadership qualities. He was smart. And over the course of the Mahabharata, you see again and again when he devises some pretty good plans to achieve his ultimate goals. Um, he was great with, he was well-trained, not only by the trainer, that Drona, that um, all of the brothers, you know, but all of the exceptional warriors were trained by this particular guy but he was also trained by Krishna's brother so he's great with the mace like we talked about uh you know Krishna having the mace or Hanuman has a you know that club it's, which of course is the same as what Bhima the wolf belly um in the Pandava side also exceptionally talented at that so he was a great warrior he was a skillful technician um but he had some negative qualities and in particular they are um Greed, they are arrogance, they are jealousy. And the reason that we find ourselves at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita at, on the battlefield with Arjuna in the chariot with Krishna 
is because of, uh, you could boil it down to the fact that Durodana could not handle the fact that although his dad was now the king, the blind dad, remember, that in fact it was Pandu who was the original king. And if Pandu hadn't fucked himself to death, Pandu's sons, i.e. the Pandava brothers, Yudhistra being the eldest, Arjun being the second, third, anyway, whatever, um, would become the rulers. They, they were meant to be the rulers. Once Yudhistra was was next in line, but Durodana couldn't handle it because to him, his dad was now the ruling king because Pandu fucked himself to death. Did you know that? Anyway, that happened. So surely as the son of the blind king, he should be, and as the first of the 100 sons to be born to the, to the blind king, he should be next in line. And it was the inability for the Kauravas to negotiate in any way with the Pandavas uh, that led them to the point of being on the battlefield about to cause the destruction of the world as they knew it. And this is not because... You know, the, the, the Pandavas had uh, come back and back and back with new proposals and asking for less and less and less each time. Um, you know, and that famous quote that I'm paraphrasing about not even being able to, you know, the, the, no conceivable amount of space would be small enough for Durodana to handle the fact that those Pandava brothers were still even in fact in existence in their kingdom. Like the, there was nothing that was small enough to be viable. And so the, this is why Arjuna is in his dilemma at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita because despite the statesmanship of his brother, despite the repeated attempts to renegotiate and negotiate down on what they would settle for, there was nothing they could do for peace. There was no then that's why he says, you know, you see those opening lines with Krishna where he says, well, should, should we just die? Like, is that better than fighting? Because that that literally is the only solution they've been faced with. And over the in the lead up to that portion of the Mahabharata, there are numerous rounds of uh, highly um, strategic and developed plots to to take down those five brothers, all of which, of course, have been unsuccessful because you, when you've got God on your side, which is what happens when your dad is one of the big dudes at the table, you know, you, you, you get a bit of luck here and there. So if we come back to this, that, that this is the fundamental teaching for, for us for today, at least in, in this podcast about Durodana and what he represents in terms of this idea of a zero sum game, right? This is the point of what I want to talk about today. And, and killing off the belief that life, that business, that uh, whatever it is that you're doing, that existence, that the universe is in fact a zero-sum game and that when one person has more, someone else must have less. I don't know if you've been listening to that podcast, the Motive podcast about the rise of white supremacy in the U.S., and, um, you know, they were playing, trigger warning, they were playing some audio from, um, you know, the horrible tragedy in Charlottesville. And, um, you know, listening to these white supremacists chanting, you will not replace us. And I just, like, there is some, I, I can't actually conceive of that argument because it, 
everything. I mean, obviously the the, the horrific racism, and but just the illogical nature of the argument that in fact. It's even possible that one person could replace someone else just fundamentally doesn't make sense unless you live in a zero-sum game paradigm, unless, like Dorodana, you believe that in order for me to get ahead, you must suffer, and in order for me to have more, you must have less. And instantly we're into the exactly the place where Arjuna finds himself at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita that that there is no way out. You can't negotiate there. You can't. You can't have win-win in a zero-sum game. There is only win-lose or lose-win, um, and the 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 potential of, um, you know, synergy and um, co-creation and collaboration and you know the 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 idea that a rising tide raises all boats. You know that can't happen in a zero-sum game and and like we see in in the horrors of Charlottesville and all you know all sorts of other places and absolutely like we see here in with Dorodana when you have when your life and your worldview and your paradigm has be, has become so um binary so reduced to uh, uh, that that in fact the, the nature of reality is a, is finite then it does take us to places that are hateful and that are violent and that are um, the opposite of who we want to be in the world. So obviously, you know, this example here that I'm talking about now with the sort of pride boy stuff and all of that, that horror, um, I want to look at this more on a subtle level and well, you couldn't guess less subtle than those fuckheads, but anyway, you get my point. I want to look at this more on, for us internally and and taking a little bit of a, scalpel to anything where that where we may still be in fact um particularly for today showing up in business in a way that has us defaulting to the idea of existence being a zero-sum game or in fact um, the nature of reality somehow being finite so i was looking up you know preparing for today i was looking at well, this thing of what's the difference between abundance and greed because abundance or greed certainly gets a bad rap uh in in yoga particularly i mean if you look at some of the gita commentaries for example um from some traditions and and you know people current teachers now who uh i I respect a lot but you know have a lot of negative stuff to say about materialism Ah, materialism you know, like it's the it's it's going to bring you down. Um, you know, materialism gets a bad rap. Greed, raw. You know, abundance, prosperity. Um, they still get a bad rap. And so I, I thought, well, I don't feel like that, and I don't feel like um, I still feel pretty spiritually connected. I still feel like I'm doing an okay job as a human. Um, I don't think I'm morally bankrupt. Uh, but I don't mind a bit of cash, and um, knowing that I can just buy the food that I want and not look at the price of it. Uh, the other day, I really dawned on me that um, Steve-O here had to go get a special old man dog test and the vet came in to tell me that he needed the test and that the test was going to be $100 and did I want to take the test and I didn't even think about it. Of course I'm taking the test. 
uh, and and what a gift and what a what a privilege that is that I'm in a place where I can just say yeah sure whatever 100 bucks and I want that for everybody this is the thing I, I believe in an infinite supply <laughs> I want everybody to be able to do those things whatever they look like for you whatever your I'm so grateful that I don't even have to think about can I afford this thing is I want that for you so you know but and well this may be my belief I know that it's not um true for everybody and and so I was googling well what's the difference between greed and abundance what's the difference there and I like one particular blog that I read he was talking about how it is this idea of supply that that is the difference in fact he says that it's greed exists where you believe there is a finite supply abundance exists when you believe there is infinite supply and I just love that. I thought it was uh, incredibly powerful and, and incredibly succinct. And so in unpacking that more, I thought, sort of thought, well, greed is when you're hoarding, right, when you're storing it all up for yourself, and abundance is when it is in flow so that the prosperity comes into you and it goes out to other places in meaningful, powerful ways. Um Greed is about withholding, mine, 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 mine. And abundance is about sharing, ours. When I have more, we have more. Um, so if we think about greed is about finite supply, abundance is about infinite supply. Greed is about hoarding, abundance is about flow. Greed is about withholding and abundance is about sharing. The Kaurava brothers believe that if they gave up anything, you know, in order to have their cousins live peacefully among them, they would have to give things up. They would be replaced. They wanted to keep all of it for themselves no matter what. And they did not want their cousins to have anything, not even, you know, not even what it would, living on a, the size of a mustard seed would be too much for what these um poverty consciousness cousins could handle as opposed to what we see with the Pandavas who um, never wanted to um, persecute their cousins, never thought of them as different. Um, in fact, even when they were kids and Durodana tried to kill poison, Bhima, um, they just forgave him. I mean, they kind of had it in the back of their mind, but, but um you know, they didn't really hold on to it. They were still prepared to share the fruits of of their birthright, of, of the status that they had, of, of the prosperity that they had, um, the, the recognition, the good fortune. That They were very much about sharing. So for today, I, was, I want to propose the, like I said, taking the scalpel to anywhere where you may be inadvertently perhaps still having some residual function based on this idea of a zero-sum game, which can manifest as like a grasping type of greed, mine, 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 um, arrogance, arrogance out of fear, jealousy, they've got it, I can't have it, I want what they have, I don't want them to have it, um, or sort of like just a, just a kind of like a holding on that's too tight. You're holding on to anything just a little too tightly. Where is it that these Kaurava qualities, in fact, need to be killed off in you 
just a little bit more? Is there, and, and I think, you know, again, in preparing for, for today, I was thinking about it. This is not just about cash or prosperity in the form of um, financial stability or security. It also shows up in things like money. It shows up in places like energy in your, in, in sorry, in your money, energy and time. You know, if you're holding on to something in a way that makes you feel constricted or a way that makes you feel um, um, protective of it in a sort of a, um, yeah, in a sort of a hoarding kind of way, not protective of it in terms of its inherent value, but protective of it so that no one else can have it, which is different, right? So I was talking to um, one of the women in the GYYB program today, her, one of her coaching calls, and we were talking about um, managing, how does she manage the um, – she, this feeling of frustration that she wasn't getting enough done, that she wasn't, that she was missing an opportunity to really get her business off the ground, that she was somehow falling behind because with everybody at home these days, she finds that she's distracted from work, whether she's actually interrupted or whether she's sort of interrupting herself, but you know, there's lots going on in the house. And even though she's gone off to her office to get some stuff done, um, she comes out and, you know, from time to time and, and, um, this idea that she's somehow failing because she's missing out, she's missing the opportunity, that it's all gone and there's nothing left. And here we see this, I mean, this is a, a woman who's done all the work. You know, she's she's an incredible practitioner. She's a super fun person. She's a smart person. Um, and And I'm guessing would identify much, much, much more with abundance mentality rather than poverty consciousness. And here's this sneaky little bit of cower of our energy still showing up where that, that she's hoarding time and if she has to let go of some of it, it feels like a loss, right? She's being really defensive of time in a way that um, is causing her distress and the and the energy she has around the way that she's using or she may have said misusing her time um, is not helping her with, pr- pursue her goals in any way. It's just letting, leaving her feeling a little crappy about herself. And let's face it, we don't need that. So, well, what's the solution? So we talked about it and, and, and what we talked about was maybe um, what she's trying to do is conform to a way of working that actually doesn't, support who she is or how she likes to work and if she sort of eased up on it a little bit and decided that sharing some of that time with the other people at home not only um, would make it feel less tense but actually she would enjoy it more because she likes doing that if she if she stopped sort of trying to hoard and protect the time in that way if she let herself share a little bit and be a little bit more in flow with her time sometimes it's for me sometimes it's for everybody sometimes it's for me rather than unless it's four consecutive hours for me I'm failing at my business you know could this in fact generate a feeling of greater spaciousness in her life and would she potentially get more done and certainly would she not only eliminate the resentment that was sort of building and resentment is not this woman's go-to let me tell you um and I could tell that she didn't like the fact that she was feeling a little bit like that. 
but that she would have more fun in the process. You know, the little bit of Kaurava energy that just crept in, just crept in a tiny, tiny bit, right? How interesting. Um, I was talking to another yoga teacher today about um, annual turnover. <laughs> and uh, and I was asking her how much money she makes. And let's just say she said 10000 a year, 10000 US a year. And she said, uh, but I've never been broke and I've never really struggled for money and I just manage my money carefully. And I said to her, you make $10,000 a year, you are broke. <laughs> it's okay. But you're already there. Uh, Ten grand uh, in 2020. It, uh, it does not make for an abundant life. That is broke. Um, and if you were doing that on purpose, great. But if you were kidding yourself that that that's enough, um, I lovingly invite you to consider that it's not. And so here again, it, it's a it's a it's not as obvious as I need all the money for myself because in fact she wasn't doing that at all. Um, she was very uh, skillfully managing a nice life with very limited funds. So it's a sneaky way that this Dorodana, this Kaurava energy can come back in because like I was saying to her, she's got some substantial, substantial, very important expenses on her horizon. Substantial, certainly more than her annual income. And, and they're not, um, they're not luxury. They're not holidays. They're not you know new fancy car. They're they're um, they're financial requirements that she will uh, have as a part of her family role. So they're not things that you just walk away from. And and they're important. And they transcend your annual turnover. Uh, like this is not even talking about just getting the rent paid. And so here, like I was saying, we see there's this sneaky kind of Kaurava energy of holding on really tight, holding on to the, 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 this is how much money I make and I'm going to control it and I'm going to hold on to it really tight and I'm going to manage it very well. Now, you all know me. I'm not a fan of being reckless with money at all. But I do think that, oh, could we just <gasps> like have that amount of spaciousness so that there can be some flow. You know, if I was only making 10 grand a year and the vet said, your dog needs a test and on addition, in addition to the, this consultation, it's going to be another 100 bucks, I'd have to think about it. And I don't want to have to think about the people that I care about, the things that are really important to me. When that needs a financial investment, I don't want to have to think about it. I just want to know that, yep, cool, let's do it. I got you. I want to know that when my bills come in, I just pay them. Just pay them, get the bill, pay the bill, the end. Um, and, and this is where we need to shed any residual Kaurava energy as well. Any sense of this is mine and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to manage it really tightly because there's only so much of it. Let, let, what would it look like if you just let more in? Is there any, any, uh, with, is there any sort of, um, uh, like um, lack of porosity? Is there any sort of, uh, you know, are you sort of impervious in any way to allowing more prosperity to come in? What would that look like? Why not? What would you have to release 
for you to be available to getting that sort of money. And I don't want to get, that sounded really Keith Raniere, and so I just want to sort of say quite clearly that it's not just about who would you have to be to be wealthy. I mean, sure, yes, there's always the inner work, but it's also about, like, get shit done, implement the training that you're doing. Don't just listen to the podcast. Take some notes and freaking sit down and do them. <laughs> you got to, you know, karma yoga as well here, folks. you got to get the shit done. But, you know, that, that maybe there is a little bit of zero-sum game thinking, poverty consciousness holding her back. Why not? So what might it be for you? Here's one that was happening for me. I was, uh, I have a, a thing that I'm doing at the moment in another part of my business and the launch week was, it was supposed to start last week. Big launch, going for it. Got these big numbers to do by the end of the year. It's all part of the strategy. You know, great product. Let's do this. And last week, uh, last week, I just didn't get it done. Just didn't happen. Just didn't happen. And um, so this morning, I was, you know, it's Monday morning, spend the time doing the preparing for the week ahead, what needs to happen. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to catch that week up because last week I was slack and I'm a week behind and I still think I can catch it up and I've still got two weeks to go and it's going to be okay and I can do this. You know, Amy, you can know how to do this. Come on, you just got to get it done. And all of that's true, except then I thought, well, what about if I just push the week, start week back a week? So like, started over today, like with the original plan. <laughs> what would that look like? What would it look like if I chose abundance? Because there's nothing that actually says, uh, uh, it's me, I'm the only thing saying, it needs to start now. Well, okay, Dorodana, how's about you just like take a beat and, uh, Give yourself an extension. Remember extensions? Can I have a one-week extension? I've got my period. Um, so I'm going to. <laughs> and instantly, everything just feels like, oh, phew, okay, well, let's get on with it then. No rushing, no striving, no fighting, fighting. You know, I'm not making my business the battlefield, which is what happens you, you know, we force ourselves into this state of the business becomes the battlefield when we are still operating from this zero-sum game perspective, when we are, if there is any residual energy in us that's, that proposes that for me, to, for me to get this, I need to somehow sacrifice that. Or, you know, this is all of you compare and despair people. I know you're out there. I love you. This one's for you. You know, she's teaching a workshop, that means I can't teach a workshop. Or she's got a thousand followers, that means I can't have a thousand followers. Or whatever that might be for you. She's just gone back to in-person, I can't go back to in She's just gone back to in-person, I must go back to in-person. Wow. Nope. It's not how it works. And you don't have to go very far into the teachings of good old hut yog to see that uh, we don't buy that bullshit you know like you don't it's uh doesn't work like that it works like an ever unfolding expanding situation so this is not to say that uh, and whenever I have these talks about abundance and infinite supply um we need to be clear we have a distribution problem that is real 
Um, we have a distribution problem and that is real. And I've got to tell you, the fa- if we get more money than we need, the good we can do with that blows my mind. You know? I mean, shit. That's, that's, I remember when I was, um, I don't know if it was high school or, um, no, I must have been at university, and I found myself in this group called, what are we called, the World Wide Home Environmentalists Network. That's right. And it was, and I was the treasurer of our branch, uh, I think, or the secretary, one of those roles. Vice, no, I was the vice president. I ended up being the vice president of this group of people. And it was kind of like militant recycling, you know, it was kind of, it was sort of pre the real emergence of permaculture, but still you had jokes, you reused the hell out of everything, um, you know, shame on cheap toys and all the rest of it. It was, it was a great group. And I was fairly naive and I you know, talked about this before, I was raised by a fairly bog standard sausages and mashed potato middle class family. Um who never talked about money. I didn't know what people earned. I didn't know what a normal professional graduate salary was. No idea about money. Um, and I remember the the president of this group, she just said to me once that she wanted to make a lot of money and she wanted to put it all in, I can't remember what she said, shares or something, ethical shares, so that she could just give away to whoever she wanted, she could just give away the profit. That was her whole thing. That was her whole personal thing was how can she generate in an ethical way wealth and then donate the interest for the rest of her life. And I remember thinking like that blew my mind that that was even a thing that you could do. You know, what was that? Would have been 20, maybe 19. Never, never, um, you know, conservative voting parents in small business. Um, never thought about having more than you need, you know, that that more than you need, that was not a thing in our house. There was never more than you need. There was like work your ass off to get what you need, but there was never more than. And then just what, giving it away? How, the, the fact that you could even have so much money that you could just get blew my mind. And I come back to that teaching so often because this, is, this was a woman, what she modelled for me, Wendy, her name was Wendy, what she modelled for me was that you don't have to do bad things to generate wealth. And that good people can be wealthy. You know, I grew up with a story that wealthy people were bad. Wealthy people were corrupt. Wealthy people were greedy. Wealthy people had climbed over others to get where they were. This woman, you know, was reusing the hell out of every plastic bag she'd ever even looked at. Um, you know, she used to buy old what do you call, lace curtains at the op shop so that she could sew them up into reusable vegetable bags. Like, there's nothing bad about this lady. And her whole, and she aspired to be wealthy so that she could give away the, the, the interest from that from that lump sum. Life changing, life changing. This is a woman who showed me at an important time in my life that when great people, when ethical people, when people committed to making the world better, when people committed to flow and sharing, have wealth. Things are, I mean, it is fertile ground for growth of, for everybody. So I want you to check in today, or my invitation, you can do whatever you like. That was a bit bossy. My invitation today is to maybe, you know, if, whatever it is that you're up to, walking the dog, pottering in the garden, taking a bath, 
whatever it is that you're up to, take some time and think about, is there anywhere in my life, in my business where I may still be operating unknowingly until this moment from a zero-sum gain? where I am holding on to some limiting belief that in order for me to get ahead, someone has to suffer, or if someone else is doing well, that means I can't, or for me to have more, someone else must have less, or vice versa. Is there anywhere where this powerful teaching from Dorodana might be showing up for you in business? And then I want to just loop back and talk, because I know I gave you the long-winded version of um, the this this the story and where they all came from and why they were fighting. But if you are thinking of using story more in your classes, and I know everybody who's signed up to yoga and story, yes, we're going to be doing that together starting on starting this week. But here's a quick anecdote for that encapsulates how Durodana as the head oldest brother of the Kauravas and Arjuna, the hero, if you like, of the Pandavas, the sons of Pandu, represent abundance consciousness and poverty consciousness, abundance and greed or lack. The, the, the fact that Krishna, um, Krishna wasn't siding, uh, immediately with either party. And he, um, he, the, the, the quickly, the story was that Krishna is asleep. Um, Krishna is asleep in his tent and he's going to decide who he will fight for, um, uh, who, who's going to pick to fight for the Karavas or the Pandavas. And so both Durodana and Arjuna, they go to Krishna's tent and uh, await his awake because that's when he's going to decide. And he's told then the um, the first person he sees when when, when he uh, wakes up gets to decide um, if they want Krishna or if they want um, all of Krishna's armies, like that's what you can have. They're the options that he gives. You can have all my army, the elephants, the whole thing, all of it, or you can have me. And if you choose me, I won't fight. Okay, interesting. So, of course, the Dorodana and Arjuna, they rock up at the tent waiting to get seen first. And Dorodana goes, sits right up at the top of the, right up near Krishna's head because he wants to make sure that when Krishna wakes up, bam, he's the first person that he sees. But Arjuna, of course, uh, sits at Krishna's feet because he wants to show respect and that's what you do. doesn't know at this point, although if you read the ISKCON interpretations he does, but to my way of thinking, doesn't know yet that Krishna is in fact an avatar of Vishnu, still thinks he's just a friend that they've, you know, they've grown up together. Anyway, Krishna wakes up and, um, and, he, and he sees them both and he decides that because Arjuna took the humble place of waiting at the feet, that Arjuna gets to decide, do you want... Me alone? Remember, Arjuna does not know that Krishna is God yet. Because, I mean, if you could pick, do you want God or do you want some, like, equipment? You pick God. (laughs) He doesn't know that yet. So Krishna says, do you want me? I won't fight. Do you want me? Or do you want all my kit, my whole thing, the, you know, all of the, um, all of the soldiers, all of the equipment, all of the horses, the elephants, all of it. Do you want all that? And, of course, Arjuna, because he believes in abundance and he represents abundance, as the Pandava brothers, that's what they represent. He says, Krishna, I want you. And I know you won't fight, but will you drive my chariot? Which, of course, is where we open at the Bhagavad Gita. Imagine if Krishna, if, if Arjuna, when he, in that first moment of that battle, that epic battle, if he didn't have his best friend there to give him the talk, that whole Gita is the talk. 
that helps him lean into his tarama and pursue what is meant for in a righteous way. If he had, if he had chosen all, of, he would have had all of the ele- elephants and all of the chariots and all of the fighters, but he would have been incapable of pursuing his dharma without having Krishna on his side. And of course, he didn't know it, but he picked God, Jai. Whereas Dorodhana, of course, was thrilled. He didn't care that he didn't pick first because he would have chosen what he chose, what he got. Anyway, he would have chosen more. He would have hoarded up and chosen all of the equipment and the soldiers and all of the kit. And here the the, the parable, of course, is that um, in choosing in choosing to see lack, in choosing to see I need to get all of it so that you have none of it, Dorodhana stepped away from the divine. He chose something other than the absolute, which is, of course, the parable. So if you're thinking of using the, you know, these two collections of cousins as a teaching tool, that's a cute little anecdote um, and also just you know, powerful teaching for all of us to reflect on from time to time. Got a little over time. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening into this podcast. And hello to all of you uh, Spotify people. So nice to finally have got my shit together and be able to share this podcast with you on the app of your choice. I tell you what would be awesome and fun today if you are listening in and enjoying this episode. Um, take a screenshot of it and put it up as an Insta story. Tag me. I'm curious to know how many Spotify peeps we've got now. So that'd be fun. Take a screenshot, tag me, share it on as, a, as an Insta story. And um, I'd love to see that. Uh, look, if you haven't got into yoga and story and you want to, if, I'll give you like, I don't know, do it today. And I'm going to be coordinating the back end and emailing everybody and all that good stuff tomorrow. So if you're like, shit, I should have done that training. Um, yes. Okay, fine. Go get him. We want to see you there. Um, but, you know, by like Tuesday lunch or let's say Monday night, Monday night UK, Monday afternoon US Canada. Give me enough time to make sure everybody's settled in. Do the housekeeping. Uh, The link for that is amymcdonald.com.au forward slash story. I'll put the URL in the episode notes too. Thanks everyone and uh, have a great, great week. Uh, I know that um, shit is real all over the world right now. So the more we, um, the more we reside in abundance, thinking, being in flow, sharing what we have, love, time, energy, money. Uh, you know, this is where I think this is where our yoga is at right now. And um, for all of you who who have got extra people living at home or can't get back to your family. I know what that's like. It sucks hard. Um, just, uh, yeah. Thinking of all of you, take good care and speak again soon. So there you have it, folks. Another edition of the Abundant Yoga Teacher Podcast. Hey, favor to ask. If you found the content useful, I would be very grateful if you could support this podcast by giving me a five-star rating. And if you've got a moment, a review would be super cool. No pressure. Of course. Like I said earlier, if you have any suggestions for podcast topics in the future, I would love to be in service. DM me on Instagram at Amy Yoga Biz Coach. Take deep care.